0: What's the password? Hmm. Welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy.
1: Brought to you by the record button. Good day and welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. Uh, I see that you have found your way here. Thank goodness because it's coming down out there. Uh, I want to say real quick, um, if you're listening to this at the time of release... Happy New Year! Happy my, New Year! Happy New Year! My name is uh, Cody. And, and I'm Lance. I am joined my, b- my buddy Lance here. And we are here to talk to you today about uh, our favorite thing to do. Uh, a couple of our favorite things to do when, when you're landlocked. Because what the heck else is there to do when you're landlocked besides play RPGs, run RPGs, and enjoy a nice uh, little beverage here and there. It's fair. Uh, but we're here to, so come on in, pull up a chair, uh, grab a drink, especially, a, grab an age-appropriate drink for whatever age you are. Uh, but if you are, whether you be a player or a game master, all are welcome. But if you are a game master, especially, come in, grab a seat next to the ever-burning hearth as we today talk to. Uh, what, are, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about some news. We're going to talk about how to engage your players in your uh, in your world, whether you're playing in an existing setting or you've made up a homebrew, which is one of the, in my opinion, most fun things to do as a game master is to make up your own setting. Uh, but first, Lance, I have a couple pieces of news. All right, uh, have you fig- hit me. Have you figured out what six sixteen means yet? You know? No, I haven't. You've been you've been pestering me
0: with that since we got here and okay. started prepping. So back.
1: Marvel is making a table. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Marvel is making a tabletop RPG, uh, or at least publishing it, and it there is a playtest in February of twenty twenty two. The playtest booklet will be 104 pages it's going to have uh it's going to be 9.99 for the playtest booklet how do you feel about that
0: it really depends on how much content's in the playtest booklet
1: I, I feel like 104 pages is a lot for a playtest
0: that's fair I mean I've, I've paid more money for less than that and in you, terms of gaming
1: equipment so you, you take your significant other to Starbucks and you spend as much between the two of you, right? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, not you. I'm just going to say, I, I don't go to You're Starbucks, not going to Starbucks. But... You're not a Starbucks guy, but I just mean, in general, no, I, I went I, to Starbucks. Listen, I only
0: like coffee if it's the flavor of the beer that I'm drinking.
1: <laughs> uh, so, this game is slated to release, I think, the year after, uh, but the playtest will come out in 2022. I don't remember all the stats, but the stats spell out Marvel because it's like might and agility and whatever, <laughs> whatever have you. It spells out Marvel, but the. That almost seems a little.
0: Try hard. Well, yeah. <laughs> I but, mean, maybe, maybe, maybe it'll be a good game. I hope it's a good game, but I mean, it, it I mean, seems that's, a little that's much. Six,
1: that's six attributes. That's what, you know, D&D has. Yeah. That's what D&D Pathfinder. That's a classic tried-and-true thing, is having six attributes. Uh, we've got the... Shadowrun did it, too, originally. I, yeah, original originally, version. like in the early editions. Because mm-hmm. there's way more than that now, right? Fourth or yeah, edition, they, like well, eight or eight or uh, Shadowrun
0: technically and had more, but the assigned attributes were only six. Everything gotcha. else was derived. I think the newer editions have... As many as eight.
1: All right. So this uh, this Marvel uh, cinematic—it's called the Marvel Multiv- Marvel multiverse tabletop RPG uh, public playtest in February, and it's going to use a new game engine. Uh, it's it's going to use 3d6, but they call it. Uh, the D-616 system. Ah. Uh, yeah. For those who aren't uh, comic book uh, fans or pay attention to the the deep lore, uh, Earth-616 is the primary universe. Earth-primary. Yeah, it's, it's the primary world for what has happened of most of Marvel's comic book history has happened on that universe mm-hmm. uh, in the multiverse. And uh, so 104 pages with pre-made characters for existing heroes and I think rules to make up your own. Uh, but the whole thing is that if you roll a, like, two sixes and a one, something, like, special happens. That's, that's okay. kind of like a crit. All right. Uh, which, I, if, if I did my math right, that's, like, a 3 in 216 chance, which is about one3 Eight repeating nine. It's like a one point three nine percent chance. So of that it'd happen. be something really cool because you're not going to see it very often. No, no. I, I imagine that'll be like a super. It, I hope so. We'll see when I'm, I'm interested in testing it out. So
0: have they uh, have they kind of discussed any features to the game at all?
1: In the uh, from what I've read, there is, isn't a whole lot. Okay. Uh, but I also haven't seen. I haven't. I haven't sought out like developer logs mm-hmm. or anything like that. I'd be interested to see
0: how they're going to handle different how different rules would affect different types of superpowers or if it's going to be a very simplistic system just so they can kind of base cover it all. Yeah, maybe. You know what I mean? Like like Spider-Man's web sw- web sl- slinging. Would just swinging. be
1: like a type it would be a movement It would be a, a, a
0: acrobatics check or something like that rather than having it be its own special set of rules. Yeah,
1: then, then have an entire rule set for web swinging. Yeah. Right. Uh, the second piece of news is a which is something that I am particularly interested in. Uh, there is a system being made, a game being made by a company called Firelock Games. It is slated to release in 2022 sometime. I, I couldn't find uh, I couldn't find when in 2022 to be
0: announced. <laughs> yeah,
1: to, yeah, maybe either to be announced or I just missed it. Uh, it's called War Stories, which is a World War II RPG. No, no weird occult stuff. So just. No, just... Legit World legit, War Two combat. World War Two, uh, where you assume the uh, role of members of the either 101st Airborne, okay. those that uh, parachuted in, mm-hmm. or the British 6th Airborne, okay. and it's going to use the Mutant Year Zero engine which okay. is una- which is another system we have to run yeah, that I, say, I have I've read I've never, never played it. I've read about 80% of that and still would like to run it sometime.
0: My only experience with it was the actual video game. But, I played a little bit of that. I really enjoyed that though.
1: So you have experience in the Mutant Year 0 game? Uh, just the video game, not yeah. the tabletop. So we should play the tabletop and we'd have a, we'd have at least an idea how this uh, this game will work. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I I have always been <clears throat> growing up I watched a lot of like World War 2 movies like mm. Enemy at the Gate and Saving Private Ryan and such. So I'm kind of stoked for that. Uh, but anyway, that's that's all I uh, that's all I have for news. Why don't you tell me uh, what recent happenings in uh, what's what have you done tabletop related? Well
0: our uh, Pathfinder game for the week got canceled that was our temporary replacement while you were uh,
1: you're on hiatus for yes our, our buddy uh, our buddy is running a game in November mm. that I get to play in, but yeah. uh, we didn't run this week No we didn't run this week but Wednesday we did uh, we did pick up Lancer um, kept going with that campaign For those uh, who have not played or heard of it Lancer is a mech focused RPG. And it's a lot of fun.
0: It is. Uh, every session, to me, seems to be more fun than the last one, which I think is it's a good sign oh, you know, so to, to the system.
1: And it's, it's always kind of <laughs> like, uh, you, whenever you're playing a new system, and let alone a new character, it's kind of, you're gaining your sea legs, mm-hmm. right? It's it's not always that you can open up in a new character, get into their skin and role play really well, or you're figuring out your class mechanics or such, the, the way, or just the way the game works so you guys are playing new characters and a new system so mm-hmm. there's it's there's a uh, growing pains always yeah but i mean it's everybody seems to be picking it up fairly quickly
0: so that's that's i uh, signing the system's favor now we had uh the previous session to this one we had taken over a military outpost or destroyed all the enemy mechs and we were looking to infiltrate the building that was there which requires of course getting out of your mechs yeah um to get some information so we would know the next location we were supposed to hit
1: yeah, but how how did you get into that building?
0: <laughs> well, I uh, I I was designated as the leader of the group. Yes, and so you're the leader I, of the mercenary I told company. our two most combat focused, and by combat focused, I mean their pilots actually have combat skills. Yes, outside you know, of as, their yeah. Maps. As as the group leader, I'm I'm more into the charisma based skills, charm things like that. The um,
1: the, the pilot uh, skill triggers. Yeah, the, the, yes. the pilot
0: skill triggers. So I sent the two guys in the group that were the. Uh, the heaviest as far as their, their overall combat skills because, well, this this was going to be them outside of their mechs actually fighting. And uh, so our buddy Dan, who's playing his character Scorp, he just punched the door of the building yeah. to get inside, which I, I mean, it worked. I had, I with enjoyed, the mech. He mech punched it. He
1: mech punched Yeah, as a game master, <laughs> it's, it's always fun when you can see in the eyes of your players the joy in their face when they realize <laughs> that what they want to do is going to work out great. Yep. And he's like, can I just... He was like, "Can I just punch the door with my mech? You can absolutely just punch the door with your mech." And, and
0: that is that is how they they ingressed into this building initially yeah. by mech punching the door through the the door, and then they just went in, and assaulted it, and um he took sure... it
1: over. You got the information.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think T Bird just executed everybody. in the te-
1: I was you know, T Bird just went in and. <laughs> Just he, he took no prisoners. No, there was
0: there was none of that.
1: Uh, I, but then, I, I wasn't
0: very specific with my orders. I just said capture the building. You, and you the did, capture the
1: building. <laughs> uh, and then later, when you guys attacked the supply outpost, I think Dan had the uh, uh, MVP moment again, because you guys were fighting against the... Uh, well, I had used, for the first time, a mech that was elite, meaning it's mm-hmm. got more HP and such things. And if you remember, I think it was the last episode or the episode before, I swore that for the rest of the time I'd be running Pathfinder, I would not fudge dice, mm-hmm. and it bled into last uh, last this last week's Lancer session as well because when the elite enemy who only has a sword, just a huge nogachi sword <laughs> with, was a, great. with a three space range, <laughs> and it was about he was ready to just tear you guys up uh, when he first lost his, a point of structure and had to roll on the chart and he lost his weapon and when mm-hmm. I rolled that die, there was an urge inside of me to fudge because. Mm-hmm. If that dude loses his weapon, suddenly the, he the, was the it. rest the rest of the encounter that's he was it. done. He, that was he, it. There were not a lot of more big threats on the field. Yeah. That was it. So, but I just i the the oath for Pathfinder <laughs> bled into Lancer, and I allowed it to happen. And I think that was the right call because that made Dan feel like a badass.
0: Oh yeah, no, he just. He was happier than shit when he uh. Yeah, yeah. When he he swung po- that thing. His,
1: his mech draws his beam saber and crushes through the other mech's sword, rendering the elite enemy useless. I kind of felt
0: bad for him, actually. Not to, not Dan, but the, the, the <laughs> oh, elite. Oh, the NPC pilot. Yeah, because literally, only weapon the dude's got is this just really long, dangerous sword. And for a while, he was chopping Dan up pretty good with it. He was. He, and he, then, he, uh, Dan
1: seems to be the one up in the face. Yeah, For
0: those unfamiliar with the Lancer rules... After you've taken a certain number of damage, you will lose a point of structure, and then your hit points reset, and it just kind of goes through that cycle until you've run through that. Well, every time your structure like or every time you lose all of your hit points and you lose a point of structure from it, it causes a system to fail, or even your mech could possibly blow up if you lost enough of them. And apparently, the only system that he lost during that transaction was the one mount that he
1: had. Yeah, yeah, because there's (laughs) a. He rolled a two, which on the chart is, all right, roll 50-50 chance. Now you lose one system or one weapon. And it rolled to lose a weapon, and he only had one weapon. One weapon to choose from, so so I, I am enjoying Lancer uh, I, I recommend it to anyone who likes giant robots uh, yeah. Oh, yeah most of the most of the rules most of the player facing rules are available for free mm-hmm. and so really the, only the game master has to buy uh, the PDF I believe that has like NPC information mm-hmm. and other stuff like that
0: and you can get online and use their Compcon app to manage your character which is nice
1: yep I, I still uh, I still think that people should go through character creation at least once. Without mm. using the assistant apps, so that you can really comprehend mm. the rules. But it is anytime you have like Path Builder or Talk yeah. On or something. It does really help speed up the process, especially it, for people that are really mm. lazy about mm. making their characters and wait mm. till the day before the session to get it done. What? Or, you know, <clears throat> not you. Not no, you. I know. You're, no, you're, no, you're I, very disciplined I, about I, it.
0: I, I know that. <laughs> as, a, as as somebody who has GM'd enough, my players don't come prepared to irritates me a little
1: it's a little irritating but at some point you just gotta you know you learn to pick your battles where you can but then as a courtesy
0: when i'm playing i always come prepared because i wouldn't want to be i wouldn't want the roles reversed
1: hey everyone any player listening if you've never gm'd before give it a try you'll understand very soon and anyone can do it you know i i would agree i think every player should gm
0: a minimum of like three sessions minimum just, just so that you understand what you're putting your
1: GM through from time to time. <laughs> a little empathy. <laughs> little empathy, yep. Uh, speaking of players and the GM relationship, uh, what before we pop open today's topic, uh, what, uh, what beer are we drinking? Well, tell us about it. Um, well, I, like it. I am
0: currently about halfway through a, um, a mocha espresso barrel-aged porter.
1: We drink a lot of dark beer. I do drink a lot of dark beer. <laughs> we, uh, it's, well, it's a lot uh, of dark beer. Well,
0: in defense, in the warmer months come up, I would imagine that I'll be filtering in something a little, little lighter colored than this, but I mean, for the Happy most New part, Year! Happy New Year!
1: <laughs> We're in the Midwest, Nick. It's cold as heck.
0: How about you? What do you got in front of you?
1: This, uh, vanilla coffee lager. I can really taste the vanilla. It's very pleasant. I enjoy it a lot. Thank you for yeah, bringing it today. Absolutely. I was busy with a, with a family thing. With a family thing. Yep. <clears throat> All right. So, now that we have uh, got our drinks in front of us, what, uh, did you remember what I said today's topic was? Yes, um, getting your players invested in your world. That's right. How do you get your players invested in your world? I'm asking you this question. This is not hypothetical. Answer this question. Um, I think the the biggest
0: step that you can do as a GM, if you really want to get your players invested in your world, is to start out at character creation. Mm Mm-hmm. I like to if I if my players and me both have the time to do it to sit down and have and help them with character creation to build their character kind of already pre-stitched into the world. Yeah. You know, so that that and I mean depending on whether or not it is uh it is a homebrew world or kind of a partially homebrewed world or whether you're using a uh you know an already already built world. Sometimes especially when you're you're talking about the uh the homebrewed stuff, you can kind of build a portion of your world around that character to give them a feeling of of kind of inclusion into that world. So I like to start with my characters at character creation and like rather than just letting them make the character, I want us to make the character together. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Find a way to fit their concept into the world that I'm playing in or the
1: world that I'm game mastering in. And that's a point in fifth uh, edition's favor because backgrounds kind of include mm-hmm. that. You, you've got your traits, your bonds, your yep. flaws, all that stuff that help that help uh, people think about not just their character's kit, but who their characters, mm-hmm. what their character's personality is. Yeah, but I mean, and especially I- bonds, especially because if you are bonded to an NPC or a place mm-hmm. or something, that's uh, that's a hook. Uh, that your players are fish and they come with a hook in their mouth in that regard. <laughs> well, and it's
0: it's nice too. Like if you've got a character who says his concept is to be a part of a secret organization or an order of knights or something like that that doesn't already exist in the game's canon, yeah, build it for them. Yeah,
1: absolutely. If, you, if you're if you are willing to uh, be a little bit malleable, mm-hmm. you can find ways to incorporate yeah, can... their ideas into the canon. You know, it doesn't matter if you are playing in. Uh, in Paizo's Galarian, or uh, Forgotten Realms, or Dark Sun. You know, as long as the player's idea, uh, you believe it can fit into it, you can work with them to help create your version of the Forgotten Realms, or your version of Galarian. That's your table that you're playing at.
0: And the more invested that the the player is in the character, and that the character is in the world, the easier it's going to be for both adventure hooks, the easier that it's going to be to get them to care enough about their character that they don't end up throwing them in the jaws of the first monster that comes along yeah, if they're having a bad a couple of bad rolls.
1: It comes back to your character creation point, mm-hmm. right? Where, uh, like, it's a little bit baked into 5e, but I know something that we have often done is you you provide a questionnaire to your players. Yeah. Hey, you know, what, what, do you, what does your character hate? <laughs> what do they like to do? You know, what would they do in this situation? I, once upon a time, long, long ago...
0: There was, uh, and I'm sure that they probably still have it in some incarnation, but there was a big Shadowrun forum. Uh. And on this Shadowrun forum, some guy had put together a 51-page questionnaire for Shadowrun characters. (coughs) I'm sorry. I used to... What? What? Like some kind of absolute monster. This is not. This is not a good thing as a GM to do. Okay. But I used to subject my players to that.
1: To the whole. The 51. whole thing. Humaniac.
0: I mean, it was basically like making them fill out a long form job application to play a character.
1: No wonder Dan hates character creation. Yeah, that's probably
0: part of it. It's I, your fault. It probably is. <laughs> but in my defense, since then, most of my questionnaires have stayed under ten questions. Just to get some basic ideas of I where the character ten, fits in the a good cosmos. Number. I think it is too. Fifty ten, ten is way too much.
1: Fifty-one pages. I don't know. Fifty-one pages. Fifty-one questions. Oh, 51 questions. Yes, 51, that's still a lot.
0: That is a huge amount. Fifty-one questions. And, and I, you know what? Here's the thing. I used to fill it out for my characters too. Yeah. And it was horrible. I did. <sighs> in, in hindsight, probably not my finest jamming moment.
1: There's there's a lot of resources you can find on mm-hmm. this. There's a lot of advice. You know. Um, when I first started game mastering, it kind of aligned. Uh, a lot of people that are in the hobby will be familiar with the name Matt Colville. He's mm-hmm. a he's a he was a writer at Tor- Turtle Rock Studios. He's uh, got his own couple of kickstarted books for the fifth edition setting, and he's got a lot of uh, he's got a series of videos on YouTube called Running the Game, and that that was actually something that helped me uh, learn a lot mm-hmm. in, as, as I got started. And he talks about uh, he talks about having. Your characters, you know, inspirations, and things like mm-hmm. that, uh, and and roping them into the world. But I'm going to talk about uh, NPCs. Okay. So I, was there, I interrupted you. What well, you, I was just I was saying? just going to say I continue.
0: You're kind of fortunate because you started GMing after this stuff was all very widespread on the. Oh internet. yes, yeah, the, like. When I started game mastering, YouTube wasn't even a thing.
1: That's true. Yeah, you like, were. You know, Matt the, Colville the
0: existed because he predates me in this industry, as when, far as I'm aware. When you were
1: GMing, logging into the internet screamed at you. Yeah, no, I did. AOL no, it did. was very upset. Yeah, it's, It no, sounded like it was dying every time you tried to get onto the internet. For
0: all you kids out there, just Google dial-up noises, okay? Because <laughs> that's what I had to endure when the internet started. That's also <laughs> and how old you had I to, am.
1: you had to worry about someone answering the phone. Yep. Yeah. Hey producer, throw in some
0: dial-up noises.
1: All right, for those, of you, for those of you that are still with us after that nightmare, uh, <laughs> you know, you make, you make a really valid point. I, it is very fortunate, I think, for me that I started game mastering RPGs during this time period where I have all these resources online and i think i think to your benefit what you've kind of been able to do
0: is cram a lot of years of learning into a shorter period of time oh yeah because you've been able to utilize these resources you know and this is why despite the fact that you've only been for what four-ish years No, four four four-ish years now i would say that you have as much experience as i
1: think i think it was probably around october or november Mm -hmm. of 2017 so yeah. we're coming up we're, it's, we're we, i believe we've just hit the four-year anniversary yeah, I,
0: I would say that you have just due to the the excess of resources as much experience as i probably had
1: 15 20 years into the game yeah there's so many different <laughs> places i can draw from like monty cook has written books about mm-hmm. games you know the the guy that was uh, i believe he was i think he was uh no no one uh i could be miss attributing, but I think he was lead designer of D and D three point five. Mm-hmm. I know he was a, very important to the development team during yeah. that time period. He's he's made Cypher Numenera since then, Black Sun, uh you've got Matt Colville, there's all these different channels and resources. And you know, you you come to us, that's we're another resource. If you've stumbled on us, we are ourselves adding us ourselves to that pool. Oh absolutely right? Here, yeah. here's just it's it's very much a standing on the shoulders of giants kind of situation where I can draw upon the experience of those that have come before me.
0: <laughs> yeah, See, when I started, like we didn't really even have internet resources when I first started, and Ooh, that's good. Sh- yeah, shortly thereafter, um, the the Shadowland, I think dot it was the Shadowland.net, I think was the web address for it way back in the day, and that was really kind of the first big Shadow Run mm-hmm. forum. Uh, eventually. Um, Pinnacle put together a forum for Deadlands that is still around
1: today on their side. I think Pinnacle being the people uh, that yeah, the Deadlands people, and the, more Deadlands well, Savage Worlds more, more popularly these days is Savage, Savage Worlds because yeah. it's adaptable to many settings um, but yeah I mean then
0: they have their four forums but I mean other than that I had very little you to had go. Jack yeah I, 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 I didn't have experienced people like you know Matt Colville to, to, to listen to I couldn't watch things like Critical Role yeah
1: digressing uh, so you. So far, we've got your... Basically, you want to ask questions. You want to rope people's character creation mm-hmm. right into the world. Uh, and on that... Yeah, you go and, ahead. And don't be afraid if your chari-
0: if your players... You know, if you give them that questionnaire and the answers come out... that Like, very contrary to the world that you're building... To sit down with that player and find a way to make those work. Mm-hmm. And, to, and to come pl- back and, and say, hey, so, so this... You know, the answer that you gave me to this question it doesn't really fit with the setting. How can we kind of
1: nudge it in one direction or another to get it to fit into the setting? Yeah. It's uh, it, and players for those players that are listening, if your GM isn't asking you questions about your backstory, but you'd like to, you don't d- never ever write the 30 page backstory. You only mm-hmm. need like a page, Yeah. but your GM will, most GMs, I promise you, most of them will appreciate that you put time and effort into mm-hmm. doing that. And it's going to help them uh, bring your character into the world and, tie things together and you know sometimes it's just writing down questions and answers
0: you know i i i've always kind of been of the mind that that you know you can either answer a handful of questions or if you want to write me a story for your character i'll take that instead i would actually much rather have the story but i do understand that not everybody is a writer no no. i mean there you know there are various levels of talent when it comes to writing and there are some people that are just not good at writing at all
1: well that that (laughs) That could be, because um, you used to give bonus character creation points for written stories mm-hmm. back in Deadlands. Yep. And what you can do is, rather than judge on quality of writing, make ensure that uh, the that it hits enough points. Does this little narrative provide an origin for the character? Mm-hmm. Does it provide inspirations for the character? Motivations. Motivations, yeah. So if it hits those points, then you can reward mm-hmm. things like that.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I don't want to pick on anybody for you know bad writing. At the no. end of the day... You know, the story is what I want, but if it's not great, that doesn't matter. I oh. mean, as long
1: as it answers some questions. Not everyone has a, has a proclivity towards no. grammar. And that's, you know, something anyone can work I on. I mean, not that I would expect him to degrees. do it, but I
0: mean, I feel like Dan is a good example of this. I would rather have him write me a comic book. Oh, it, oh God. Problem is, a... the amount of time he'd have to invest in writing yeah. a backstory
1: comic book would be crazy. But his, his talent
0: is artwork. It's drawing, you know.
1: So in addition to players writing up stories, and answering questions, you can also, GMs, write a primer before you start your campaign. As you know, I did one for the my home Pathfinder campaign. Especially if you're making your own homebrew world, uh, you can write a short blurb about the world, uh, different ancestries, places in the world, different classes, places in the world. Mm -hmm. For example, in my homebrew setting, um, the Pathfinder 2 Magus is a class that is usually attributed to the Mage Hunters. Right, that's 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 oh. kind of. A,
0: yeah, but you, you had the mage hunters before the magus came out. But yeah, I correct. see how that fits now. Actually, yes. that makes a lot of that sense. That was
1: always that, when they teased a gish, uh, which is a, a magic fighter. Mm-hmm. When they teased a gish, uh, they that was always the plan. Mm-hmm. Is I was waiting for magus to come out. Mm-hmm. That is usually where magus in my world come from, is being from the mage hunting makes society, uh, things like that, uh, or the or various races uh, or ancestries. Mm-hmm. The various ancestries have different. Um, origins or the way they fit into the world like for instance uh, all the genie folk or those that are plain touched you know you've got your your people with their elemental heritages those usually or- originate from a city at the center of the continent mm-hmm. rather than, rather than oh so and so fell in love with a genie you know <laughs> which you know that, that could also happen mm-hmm. but generally they come from the city of primar mm-hmm. uh for example so you you can write a write a primer and i i'm I apologize, GMs, but not everyone in your party is going to read it. I was just about to say that. Don't be mad. Yeah, don't. You're going
0: to have players that are there for the game. They, sh- they, they they don't think about gaming all week long. They show up for your game session, and they enjoy the hell out of it. But if you start giving them homework,
1: they're just not going to do it. Yeah, some players do not want to do homework, which is unfortunate. Uh, players, try and do your homework. <laughs> yeah, if you mean- If you can find time in the week... Your game master will love it. That you, mm-hmm. you know, even if you don't read the whole primer, you at least read the section about your race and mm-hmm. class. The
0: things that would most apply to your character are yeah. usually worth reading. You know, if dedicate 10 to 15 minutes a week to homework if you can get away with it. If you have the time, do it. It makes life ev- easy for everybody. But GMs, remember, if you hand your players a novel, there's going to be one or two people in the group that just aren't going to read it. And that's okay. They've got
1: other things to do. Have you, as a player ever been sad about the loss of an NPC oh man I want to say yes but I'm not pulling any out of my head right now I'm trying to like how did you feel about uh, when we lost uh, the daddy dragon in the nine hells I I I honestly think I was a little
0: less affected than everybody else was yeah but I also think that I was playing Aram at the time. If what if you had correctly. lost
1: Talbot and the Nine Hells?
0: Talbot I think would have been a little harder. Talbot had been around the group for a while. The Big daddy, the Big Daddy Dragon that we had with us at the time. I mean Aram was has never been a particularly emotional character, so I think a lot of it would have been dependent on who I was playing at the time. If i have been playing Tusk, I think if the reaction would have been different. Oh yeah. Because I mean, Aram was kind of a bit of a sociopath, I
1: guess, in a, in a lot of ways. His mind is fractured. He's yeah, he's a little bit broken. He's it's, it's he's beyond <laughs> sociopath. I mean, if you if you really if he was really... literally his ego <laughs> and id were split in
0: twain. Yeah, that's true. If you really wanted to screw with him, you'd have to screw with uh Soraya or his kid.
1: That's right. So, <laughs> those either of those two, but do you understand the point I'm making? No, I do understand the point you're making. Engaging NPCs help draw your players into the world. Mm-hmm. If your NP, if your players uh, engage with NPCs. Try and try and keep those NPCs around Or engaged in the story Don't turn them into DMPCs Where they're hogging the spotlight But if your players care about them Whether it be an NPC you created uh, In the hopes that they would be An enriched a patron of the party or an adventuring companion. Maybe it's just the person who tends to the horses, but they have a lot of charm to them. Or maybe it's Boblin the Goblin that they picked up in the forest. (laughs) You know, not the players aren't always going to latch on to the NPC you want them to latch on to. But they might latch on to But they'll probably latch on to some NPCs. Well, you know, I'm glad
0: that you brought that up, because Saria... To give you guys a little background, my warlock in 5e, who has since been converted over to Pathfinder, although we haven't played him yet. Soon. He... During a trip to the Feywild, started a bit of a relationship with a, um, a Mm-hmm.
1: and
0: um, when he found out that the big bad evil guy knew about her, he started taking some very extreme measures to keep her safe. That he was did. that was all before the um, the the traitor's toast.
1: Yes, pre pre before the traitor's toast.
0: Yeah, was, this was all before that. But I mean, he was very invested in trying to make sure that she was safe. Partially because of the relationship, but I almost think in Aram's mind more because it was leverage.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. If
0: Victor had had her, that would have been a chink in Aram's otherwise inflappable emotional emotional state. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And now they have a kid together, so that's even better. I'm waiting to see how it's Cody tries to screw me over with that. But it's a, it's a liability. But yeah, but I mean, there's there's definitely ways to get your players emotionally invested in NPCs. In NPCs, I think
1: I think for me, NPCs are one of the single most powerful tools to get your players caring about the world.
0: I mean, the dwarf that betrayed us betrayed us for an
1: NPC. For an NPC, he betrayed the entire party because of an NPC that I. Improved on the fly <laughs> and then later fleshed out it's because he's a thirsty bitch <laughs> <laughs> and long story short if you're if you come up with NPCs whether they start off being one dimensional or uh, they are start off three dimensional if your players start to seem like they are gaining attachments flesh that character out get oh, yeah. them more involved
0: run the attachment make the attachment a thing
1: yeah and <laughs> if you really want it to be uh, dramatic you can put that character in danger uh, especially uh, that that'll really spur the party's inspiration, especially because oh, sure. I would go as far as to say that Talbot is the most beloved NPC in my Forgotten Realms campaign. That's just first statement. And you guys, you guys were willing to fight to rescue him from. We to... literally went to hell to get him back. You literally went to yeah. You you went to a. You literally went to hell to get him back, and you literally went to hell to get back Auric, who was. Mm-hmm. Uh, a captured player character. But still, you've got two beloved NPCs. You will go to hell and back to get them. And I mean, a lot of this building up,
0: you know, finding a way to attach a a player to your world is there to drive the motivation of the storyline. It is, yeah. I mean, you know, even even badass adventurers, you know, convincing them to dive headfirst into hell, that's a hard sell for anybody. It is. You have to be able to get them into a position where they're invested enough in the NPCs or the world itself, that when you want, as a game master, to direct the the campaign toward the Nine Hells, then you, you have to have that leverage on your players to get them there. Otherwise, they're going to refuse. I mean, if there's, if there's, it really comes down to motivation more than anything else. And if there's the no motivation of, to go
1: at the end of the day. If it's not a railroad, they could abandon mm-hmm. that NPC. Yeah. yeah, they could, but then that's going to have heavy story implications. But well,
0: not only heavy story implications, but if there's an emotional investment in yeah. that NPC, there's going to be
1: emotional implications. It usually starts drama within the party, which is yeah. it, As long as you know, as long as people aren't hating each, it's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's very fun as the Dungeon Master or Game Master, to see your players argue. Mm-hmm. They aren't... they they are, Or not. rather, it's not the players that are arguing in these situations. It's the characters. Yeah, it's, as long as it's the characters yeah, the, and that it's, is doing that. It's dramatic. Mm-hmm. Like, the argument that we just had. You guys got Ulrich back, and then he wants to go to the islands, and Leah wants to go to the High Forest. Yep. And that created tension, because that's how you thats how you create drama. Yeah. It's tension and then resolution. For sure. And uh, that is a wonderful tool to keep in your back pocket. Pay attention, oh, here's another thing you can do. Uh, in addition to the NPCs, another way to you get your players invested in the world is pay just observe take careful consideration of what your players like to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. When you if your players uh, you, there's usually the player that likes to role play uh, going to the general store, and there are some players that do not care. They just they just are willing to say, hey, I want to spend five silver yeah. and get a dagger. How, cool.
0: how much is this item? Don't, cool, I'm going to subtract that amount of currency from my thing. Don't make that player <clears throat> role-play the general
1: store <clears throat> trip if it's not important to the story.
0: Not only that, because if, if it's that player alone that's going to do it, the rest of the party is typically sitting there doing nothing. So yeah. if the player is not going to enjoy the interaction with the shopkeep, then just hand wave it. Just, yeah. you know,
1: here, okay, subtract this amount of money from your character, here's your dagger. But that same mm. player, if that same player seems to take interest in forbidden knowledge, mm-hmm. tease them with tomes and books, oh, or for sure. or they, <clears> they pay attention to, you know, just take, no- take note, at least a mental note, of which player's not their characters, but which players seem to be interested in different things. Because some players like role playing with shopkeepers. Some like learning about. Some actually will like learning about the history of the world, mm-hmm. the hidden hidden history of the world, and that's awesome. Those players can help lead the rest of the party into the greater. Uh, well, what's the word I'm looking for? The greater adventure. <laughs> you know, the the greater foray into the hidden knowledge, the esoteric lore. I don't
0: consider this a bad thing, but I feel like this is almost redirected into the best ways to manipulate your player's
1: instruction. Well, that's what you're doing because because you don't want to railroad. No, your players, no, you don't. But, but <laughs> you can gently push them for sure. You well, can nudge them I where mean, you want to go. Take,
0: take Leah for example. If you want to get Leah motivated to do anything, wreck a forest.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's all. That's all, that's gonna, all you got to do. She's or, an she, elven ranger. She, yep,
0: she is. She's she's an aladrin. She's she's a ranger. You know, the forest is her jam a llama. So at the end of the day, if you want to push her, Her if you want to push her, or if you want to get her more importantly, to push the rest of the group in a given direction, have some demons burning down a forest. That's all you have to do.
1: Just have the dude show up and be like. The forest is under attack. That's up. That's, that's, it. that's she's, it. Nature, she's, she's nature got, is
0: threatened. She's knocking an arrow back and she's yelling at the rest of the party to get there. If you got
1: a ranger or a druid in your party, it's practically a surefire yeah, way to do Exactly. That. And that's that's as a
0: GM, that's but, okay. It's it's better it's better to manipulate your players into going the direction that you want than to railroad them into exactly. going the direction that you want. Yeah,
1: because and, and, at the end of the day, <laughs> they might say no because you've mm-hmm. put as, maybe you've put a mm. second event on the table mm-hmm. and they have to choose between who they're going to help, and now you've created more interesting drama and conflict, and con- yeah, and conflict. You've 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 got a situation where hey, do we go save the forest, or do we go uh, do we go uh, help uh, the knights over on the islands kill all the pirates that are raiding <laughs> the coast? Uh, what else? You got any other ideas to help your players stay engaged in the lore? Hmm. I like magic items. You like magic items? Magic items. Do you are like good. getting magic items? Yeah. You know, I, what I like really
0: is is the kind of reveals about the big bad evil guy that you don't always expect.
1: Oh, yeah. Like,
0: um, it was one of the dungeons that you had us do, and I'm trying to remember which character I was playing at the time. Tell me about the dungeon. It was the dungeon. It was right after we found, was it the Abolith? That big catfish looking thing?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I think you were Tusk at the
0: I time. I think I was Tusk at the time, You're too, because I don't remember was paying an, was the, a, playing him playing or a. Orc Warrior or something. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That um fighter. and when we when we were down in that that vault that was one of Victor's vaults Victor's the big bad evil guy in our 5e
1: campaign um there was some history about him in there there was yes that you you learned uh, I, I easter eggs it's yeah, it basically easter eggs. Eggs. Easter, there was, easter, there easter eggs like, about the villains or important lineage his
0: lineage specifically That's that right. we came from turns out his family was actually pretty heroic and that he back in the day and in, the back in, in the ages day. past yeah and turns out he's a you know
1: colossal dick <laughs> he's, yeah, he's a huge. That's why he's the bad guy. That's true. So yeah, yeah. that and that comes back to you know, um, the the quest that your players are on. Easter eggs about yeah. the main mission, the main uh, the main adventure, the main mystery. Mm-hmm. Little uh, hints that they that'll well, help. Uh, <clears throat> and I I think revealing the presence of those
0: Easter eggs in a way leads us to want to get more of the Easter eggs. Right. You know what I mean? Like that is it's, it's a very subtle tool, but the fact that now that we know that there is a history about this guy out there somewhere. Yeah. And that apparently he keeps pits of it, or little bits of it, hidden in his vaults, mm-hmm. or at least in this particular vault, is almost its own motivation for us to continue to seek out his hidey holes to see if we can figure out, you know, what we need to know about this guy. Because, I mean, powerful as he is, I feel like in order for us to beat him, we're going to have to have a trump card.
1: That That kind of rounds <clears throat> back to providing your players with intel. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't If you don't give an example, if you don't show them that this character has a recorded history of the lineage out there, they're not going to know. You're the game master. You've got everything in your brain. Sure, you know he's got an ancient history, but if you don't leave a clue, the players are going to have no idea. You might expect them to be curious about uh, their lineage, but if they don't know that they can find that, they might not think to look for it. And it's a nice indirect
0: way to provide a third dimension to what would otherwise be a two-dimensional villain.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Because you're. I mean, giving... be,
0: being an overpowered evil wizard is it's cliched enough that you know it's been done so many times before. You have to give this guy motivations and and reasons for doing what he's doing. Evil for evil's sake is boring in any capacity at all. My... Whether it's writing or movies or tabletop games, it doesn't matter. If your dude is just cartoonishly evil and there's no reason for it. Then it it kind of becomes a joke,
1: which is which is fine <clears throat> if you're playing like a beer and pretzels get together yeah. slapdash kind of mm. game. But if you're trying to if make a real dramatic le- narrative, legit arc, epic tale, yeah. you have to flesh. I mean, there's nothing but, wrong with either. It depends on what you're playing well, for, and, right?
0: And you know, for for those people that 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 follow you know anything in media. Who are your favorite villains? They're always the most fleshed out and interesting ones. Often the sympathetic ones. Yeah, the ones that you're like, yes, it's evil and what he's doing is bad, but I can at least understand why he made the choices that he made. It humanizes the character, mm-hmm.
1: right? You've got let's take uh, let's take Vader for example. Oh you know, yeah, he's a, he's a villain, but then you find out that uh, some bad stuff happened to him, and you end up <laughs> finding out that it's. Uh, that it's Luke's father, and at the end of the Star Wars original tri- trilogy storyline, he turns out to be kind of the hero, because he's the one that throws the Emperor down the space well. Spoiler alert. Yeah, oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> I guess if, if you haven't seen Star Wars yet... uh the movies then... that
0: came out in the 70s and 80s?
1: Yeah, Vader is Luke's father. <laughs> yeah, My My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you, you create a sympathetic villain. And I, I did that with these little Easter eggs mm-hmm. and, uh, I could see the looks on some of your faces when you read those, that letter to his, his sweetie. Yeah. Because that's what you found is, a uh, among, among lineage stuff, you found that, uh, this guy, this bed, this big bad evil guy, his number one motivation is love.
0: Yep and that is something that Aram being a sociopath would probably choose to use against him.
1: oh, oh yes, probably likely. <laughs> but I'll be interested to see because we've taken a whole year break from that campaign yeah. and we're about to start up again, so it'll be interesting we're to see.
0: See how I feel about the witch as a <laughs>
1: class. Yeah, I I think it'll be fine. <laughs> I hope it will. I'm just I'm
0: I I think the problem is going to force me to change my playstyle entirely because there is no equivalent to the warlock in Pathfinder
1: from a mechanical standpoint. Yeah, not a one-to-one yet. No, I mean, not not even close to a one-to-one. <clears throat> so what else? Anything else before we wrap up that topic? Any other major points about how to get your players invested? No. So, so in summation, see if you can get your players to help rope their, ba- tie their backstory mm-hmm. into it, the world it, ahead of time. It starts with character creation. Yeah, it does. It can start with character creation where you try and get them to, you know, write a primer, ask them how their characters are roped into the world. Uh, ask them questions. Mm. You know, what do you want what does your character want to achieve? What do, what do they hate? What do they fear? Those types of things. Find, uh,
0: find a way to tie their character into the world at character creation and you will have done yourself a huge favor starting early on.
1: And but don't don't force it. No, 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 right? no, 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 no. Because if you've ever played a character where you left a lot of their backstory open, it's sometimes fun to uh, to discover traits about their character after the fact, mm-hmm. as as through role playing on the because when I first played a, a dwarven fighter and you were playing a goblin, mm-hmm. I kind of decided uh when, in our first role play interaction that I didn't like goblins. I did not decide <laughs> that ahead of time. Yeah, and well, it, it made for some interesting. And I, I do
0: kind of leave a lot of uh, intentional gaps in my character stories, um, to help fill those out because there'll be sometimes where something will happen and the players will be discussing it, and it's nice to have enough vagary that I can just
1: fill it in with some completely made-up-on-the-fly story stuff. Yeah, and then you can write on your character sheet after that encounter is afraid of spiders, or something like that. Witches. (laughs) Or, yeah, is afraid of witches. (laughs) I mean, Bog was not built to be afraid of witches. Yeah, so (laughs) see if you can get your players to to buy into your setting at character creation, provide them with the tools to do so, engage them with their favorite NPCs, and leave tidbits of information about the things that they're interested in easter eggs to keep them hooked it's samplers you know you go mm-hmm. to the store and they're they're showing hey you want a sample heck yeah nice. I want a little taste of free food I never buy those things though yeah but you still <laughs> you still eat the sample right yeah I do eat the sample all right so I think uh, I hope that you have enjoyed your time here today and you have learned a little bit about at least a little a little skosh about engaging your players to the world. Remember, don't be offended if they don't read your whole primer. It's uh <laughs> they're there to play with you and you're hopefully facilitating collaborative storytelling together. Last call. Oh, that's last call according to Groknar anyway. But if you want more of us, you can find us on recordbuttongroup.com along with the other shows produced by the record button. You can find the record button on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram where you can find updates and news. Please share us with your friends. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube, where you can rate and review us, maybe even drop a comment. Pretty, pretty please. We want to hear from you. Uh, You can also reach us directly at gmspeakeasyofficial at gmail.com. Shoot us your questions, comments, concerns, or compliments. Uh, Until the next time, I'm Cody. And I'm Lance. And this has been the Game Master Speakeasy. Please get home safe.